Zach, is this your first time playing piano for worship? Amen. Uh-huh. Good job. just want to say a few words about this morning's sermon. If I can get my notes to work. This morning's sermon is was a lot of fun to prepare. And that was because I had some great help. And not only praying for, but planning and studying and molding this morning's message. And so a lot of what you hear this morning is not necessarily from me. It actually comes from a team of our junior high students. A couple of weeks ago, I put out on Instagram just a a general message to all our junior high students saying, hey, I'd love it if some of you guys can come be part of this experience with me. And so these kids responded, and just in case I forget, I wrote their names down. I don't want to miss anybody. Morgan, Reed, Lizzie, Sierra, Emma, and Jeremy had a heavy hand in preparing this morning's message for you. So um, you have a lot to be proud of. This morning, I'd like to introduce you to a guy that uh, some of you may know. I'm guessing some of you may not. His name is Jason Zook, and I think his picture is going to be up on the screen in a second. You may recognize him, or maybe you recognize some of his companies that he's been a part of. Jason is not a superhero, and uh, he's not in witness protection, all right? So you can kind of go and Google him and look him up later. But he is very similar to many of us. He's on a journey. He's searching for meaning and identity. He is the owner of a company that had a very simple name that we can all understand. The name of his company was IWearYourShirt.com. And it was a very simple business model. What he did was starting on January 1, You could sign up and pay for him to wear your T-shirt in his YouTube videos or Ustream videos that he puts out or any public events that he goes to. So January 1 is the first day of the year. It would cost you a dollar for him to wear your T-shirt for you. If you went a little further on in the year, if you picked the 30th day of the year, it cost you 30 bucks. All the way to the end of the year, it cost you $365 for him to wear your T-shirt in his YouTube videos or Ustream videos. Started out kind of small, pretty affordable, but then companies like Starbucks and Nissan started to come to him, and he developed a team of people that would wear your shirts for you. In 2012, just a couple of years ago, Stadler's mom went through a divorce. And he said, you know what? You guys are getting divorced. I'm divorcing you guys too. And so he put online, up for auction, the rights to his last name. So you could bid 
on whatever you wanted his last name to be and the winning bid, you could determine what his last name was. So, in t- between 2012 and 2015, Jason went from Jason, Z- well, Zook is now, but from Jason Stadler, and the first company to buy the rights to his last name was jasonheadset.com. That was his last name. And then, when that expired, he became Jason Surfer App. Before settling on the name of his great-grandfather, Zook, which he has made his permanent last name, he says. So he was interviewed not too long ago, and this is what he wrote, or what he said in this interview. I completely understand that most normal people don't change their names ever. Or maybe once or twice if you're a woman. So it might be difficult for people to sympathize with why I don't want to be known as Jason Stadler anymore. When challenged with the decision to pick the last name that I actually settled on, I wanted a name that I could be proud of and keep forever. In the three years that he did this, IWearYourShirt.com and auctioning off his last name, Jason made over a million dollars. He says, listen, I'm not saying I'm not proud of headset.com or surfer app. Actually, I'm more proud of those last names than the ones I carried through my childhood. Growing up, I didn't have a stable father figure, but I did have to live with their last names. But now, I have a name that is mine that I can be proud of. It was more than just picking a last name, he says. The more I realized that I wanted something that I could carry, that had memories, I wanted something that made me feel good, that I could share. Translation, I wanted to belong. I wanted an identity that I could be proud of, that I could connect with, and other people could relate to. The early Christians were on a search. They were on a journey. They were searching and trying to define who they were after Jesus left and went back to heaven. Their numbers were growing. They were growing in diversity. And Peter was living in a time where there was tension between men and women, Jews, Gentiles, and pagans. And in this tension, Peter writes a letter that we know of as 1 Peter. And it's a letter that's written to a group of people that are trying to be faithful during difficult circumstances. So he writes and he reminds them that not only are they children of God, but that they are connected to a living, risen Savior. 
I invite you to turn with me this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. 1 Peter is in the New Testament toward the end of your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. And on this Super Bowl weekend, as any good leader, any good coach does for his followers, for his players, he gives them a pep talk. All right? And this is what we read this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God, and precious to him. You also are like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And he goes on. For in scripture it says, and he quotes from the Old Testament, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Peter has heard Jesus talk about himself as being a living vine, a life-giving vine for the branches, as a shepherd that tends to his flock as new bread and new wine for a new covenant. It's little wonder then that that Peter goes to another metaphor. And he, this veteran apostle, he he speaks about a living stone, but not just any stone, a living cornerstone. And he makes this contrast between a living God that is the cornerstone of a living church and the stones that you see in temples with no life. And he says, living stones in this house must gather towards and be oriented around the living cornerstone because from the cornerstone is where the entire structure gets stability, gets its identity, gets its design, and everything rests upon the cornerstone. In this particular instance, when talking about the living cornerstone, Peter is not talking necessarily about stones that we might find at the river or in the ocean. But he's talking about a stone that has been cut and prepared in a specific way, where placed, everything else draws its identity from, and the structure gets its shape its form. I wonder if Peter, when he wrote these, in his old age, he remembered back to when he was younger. When Jesus was talking to him and the disciples where he says, upon this rock, 
I will build my temple, my church. I think Peter would be the first to acknowledge that when he was younger, he didn't really understand what that meant. But now, after years of experience and sorrow and hard work for the kingdom, I think Peter is saying, make no mistake. It is Jesus on whom the church is built. It is Jesus who is the immovable living cornerstone. And all of us, believers, leaders, teachers, children, are built upon him. In Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9, Sister White summarizes it this way. She's talking about the Jewish temple that was built. The Jewish temple was built of hewn stones quarried out of the mountains. Every stone was fitted for its place in the temple. And when all were brought to the grounds in Jerusalem, they fit together. They were hewn and polished and tested. And they were put together without the sound of an axe or a hammer on the grounds. She goes on, the building represents God's spiritual temple, which is composed of materials gathered from every nation and tongue and people of all grades, high and low, rich and poor, learned and unlearned. These are not dead substances to be fitted by hammer and chisel. These are living stones quarried out from the world by truth and put together by the great master builder. The Lord of the temple is now hewing and polishing them, fitting them for their respective places in the spiritual temple. Peter continues in verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builder rejected has become the capstone. And the stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. And then Peter writes the part that drives home their identity, starting in verse 9. But you, he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people that belong to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A message of hope, and redemption. It actually echoes a hymn found in Hosea. 
where Hosea wrote, I will have mercy on her that had not obtained mercy, and I will say to them, which were not my people, that thou art my people, and they shall say, thou art my God. Peter has a clear message for these people. As he talks about their identity, he reminds them, you are chosen. Most of us spend our entire lives trying to find acceptance. We seek it from our parents, our peers, our spouses. And if we're honest, we even seek it from our kids. We seek acceptance from people that we respect and sometimes even from people that we don't. If you're a parent, we seek acceptance sometimes even from our kids' friends. Because let's be honest, who doesn't want to be the parent that all the kids want to seek him on a field trip? Our desire to be accepted drives the clothes that we wear, the schools that we go to, the cars that we drive, the jobs that we have, because we like to be accepted. But Jesus says, not only did I accept you, I have chosen you to be mine. Next, Peter wants them to remember that they are valuable. Where does your value, where does your worth come from? Who determines value? In our world, there seems to be two things that determine value. One is what somebody is willing to pay for it, whether it be a a, baseball card or house, clothes, a dream vacation. And what is somebody else willing to pay for it along with who has owned this in the past or who owns it now? So if it's a piece of art, it tends to gain value depending on which museums it's been in, or whose living room that it hung in. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, you have been bought and paid for by Christ. So you belong to him. So who owns me? Who owns all of us? God valued us so much that he sent his son down to die for us so that we can have value and belong to his kingdom. You are chosen, you are valuable, and you are capable You're a royal priesthood. 
This idea conjures up an image of being a bridge, someone that, that bridges people with God. So as those that have been chosen and have value, we now have the privilege and the responsibility to bridge that gap between other people and God in their service. Bill Hybels says, I would never want to reach out someday with a soft, uncalloused hand, a hand never dirtied by serving others and serving my God, and shake the nail-pierced hands of Jesus. So Peter tells his people, you're acceptable, you're valuable, you're capable, you're forgivable. But most importantly, you are chosen. And we are all brothers and sisters in God's family. Our identity is not some social status. It's not the letters that follow our name. It's not the medical conditions that we're currently enduring. It's not the friends that we have on social media. Our identity, although it's important and school spirit is great, it isn't determined by whether we're a cardinal or a roadrunner or a knight or, or a thunderbird or a bulldog or a cougar. Did I miss any local schools? Oh, I think I got them all. <coughs> or this weekend, it's not even defined, sorry, Tim, whether you're a Broncos fan or a Panthers fan. Right? Our identity comes from the fact that we are part of a living church, that we are interconnected and interdependent with Jesus, our living cornerstone. So what does that mean? As I mentioned earlier, this sermon is the, has been birthed out of a group of six junior high students that have taken to study this passage and really make it their own. And um, I wanted to share with you, and they're going to have a chance also, a few of them, to, to share with you their thoughts. The first thing that we... Uh, we thought about on how that we can, we can get this concept of a, of a living church across based on this cornerstone that has been specially prepared is Jenga. We're all familiar with Jenga? Yeah? So first service, I had a volunteer that came up and, and, and tried to help me. But... Um, Basically, the concept of Jenga is you, you take one piece out and you stack it on top. There's a base. There's a corner piece or a side piece that we thought represented a cornerstone. But the more we thought about this illustration, we recognized that this isn't exactly what we wanted the living church, or we thought the living church was, based upon a stable, secure, living cornerstone. Because the whole purpose of this game 
is to, and I don't know if I can do it right now, but let's see. The whole purpose of this is to take out a piece and make this whole structure, after you're done with it, more unstable so that the next person, when they come up and it's their turn, it collapses under them. And the more we thought about this, we recognize that this is not a healthy picture of a living church. Because outside of here, we get enough in our world trying to tear us down and knock us over. We don't need church modeled after a living cornerstone to teach that. We don't need church to be that. So then we went to the next illustration that we can think of. And Jeremy, if you want to come up here. And we thought that what would be the next best illustration, Jeremy? Grab a microphone. What did you think? Uh, Probably Legos. Probably Legos? Yeah, Legos. We have to be a little bit more definitive. Legos. Legos. (laughs) So we thought that Legos would better represent the living church. Why? Well, the church, when you say the word church, you mostly think of the building. Right? We mostly think of the... The building, right. like the actual structure of the church. But um, it's actually made up of the people in the church. You can worship anywhere. You can worship outside, but even though that may not be an actual structure... What makes up the church is actually the people who make it, whom worship. Okay. So tell me about this structure. This is a structure um, based on our conversations that uh, Jeremy and Emma put together for us. Tell me a little bit about what you guys did and how you created it. Well, um, the probably the most important part would probably be the cornerstone, like that big block at the bottom. That represents Jesus and how we're all built. Oh, we're built off of him, and um, we represent the rest of the building. The uh, kind of the. Um, Tell me about the 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 staggering the, of pieces that uh, you. Yeah, um, we kind of interlock. So the stronger, the more we uh, like stick together. The the harder it is to knock us down. All right. And then this? Uh, it kind of represents the, um, the humanity of the church. The yeah. More the, like, represents the living All stuff. Right. Perfect. Thank you. You're welcome to come and take a look at this afterwards. It's is uh, hours and hours of, of work in interpreting a living church based on a living cornerstone that is Jesus. Good job, guys. This is what one of our students wrote. One of your students wrote. The church family is home to a diverse group of people. 
They may all look different, talk different, and worship differently. But we've all been chosen, and that's what counts. In the end, the people of God is kind of like a Lego set. They are all so diverse, and they may seem different, but they are all interlocked to form a beautiful, living church. Part of our experience was to reflect upon how we as students have experienced church, community, living community, secured in the foundation of Jesus. And two of our students have agreed to come up and, and share with us, Emma and Lizzie. I think I'm going to choose a different microphone. Is there a different microphone that can... Or not. We'll just go with this one. So they were asked the question of how they have seen and experienced in their own lives the living church. And um, Emma, you want to share with us? All right. Truthfully, I actually didn't know much about the church, the living community church. Not until recently, I completely started um, relying on the church for rides and food to like take me places where I need to go because my mom couldn't take me places. Um, I'm actually very thankful for the church. They've done so much for me. I met so many great people like Lizzie and Sierra through the church. Bunches of people have helped me through hard times and stress. I don't think we could have gotten out of our problems so easily without the church helping us. I can truthfully see God through the whole entire church family. Um, I've met... (laughs) They pray for us and keep us strong, and they truly are some of the greatest people I've ever met. (laughs) Thank you, Emma. Lizzie, how about you? Um, We used to go to another local church, and because we have gone to it practically since I was born, I feel pretty comfortable there. But since we've attended Calamesa, I've started feeling welcome at church and Sabbath school. Now all my siblings look forward to Sabbath school every week, and everyone is just so friendly. For me, it's important that the church is welcoming, and because Calamesa did this so well, I definitely think I was experiencing the church. It was very meaningful, and I'm glad there is a church that gives people the reassurance that is so critical in the Christian life. Thank you, Lizzie. Thank you, guys. Give them a hand. Opportunities to be part of a living church. They are too numerous to mention here. But pastorally, we hear from a lot of you almost daily of how can we serve what can we do to help this family? Or, or uh, did you hear about so-and-so in, uh, down the street that is going through this trial? Can we do something to help them? 
whether it's through meals or prayers, emotional or financial support, giving rides, or simply just sitting, being together and sharing life. These are all ways that we have and will continue to be a living church and a living example to our students. We do this well on a larger scale. Our Christmas offering, if you haven't heard, was fully funded through your generous generosity and your commitments to being the living church outside of this community. So all of our projects will, will have all their goals met. But one of the conversations that came up as we were talking was, what about the people on the outside? What about the people that aren't already part of a living church? What about them? What happens to them? What about the rocks that are cracked and chipped, bruised up, aren't the shiniest? Maybe some of us have been part of this living church a little too long to remember that we too still have scuff marks if we look carefully. Maybe we have been part of the community long enough to totally rely upon our our living cornerstone and recognize that our identity is in Him and that the scuffs don't matter, but maybe we need to be reminded again to engage and invite those on the outside to join and be part of this living experience. I want to leave you with a thought this morning from a student. It's a beautiful conclusion to our study. And this is what he wrote. God has adopted us. For once, we were nobody. But now, we can say that the creator of the universe is our best friend. And God invites everyone to come join him and be part of a living church. The living stone he has designed us into being a living church. We need to work together like a team and treat everyone like the plan would not work without them. We need to show love and respect to everyone, no matter who they are. Because all people have been chosen by God for a special purpose. So we challenge you this morning to go and live as God's chosen living church. Amen. Amen. You have been chosen by the God of the universe to live 
a interdependent and interconnected life with a living cornerstone. So go now boldly into your world and love that God and love all his people that we may be called his chosen children. Amen.